We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome Nets fans to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host with me today, a sad Jack Manuel because our Nets have lost two straight games. What is up, Jack? I'm sad, Nick, but uh, yesterday was uh, Christmas sweater day at, at work, so and I got to wear my Nets sweater that I bought in uh, New York last year, so it made things a little festive, my, made my sadness a little festive at least. That is pretty funny because it was ugly sweater day at my job as well. I didn't have a Nets one. I had um, an ugly sweater. It had Santa Claus, presents, and pizza on it, and it said Merry Christmas. That's that's pretty cool. I mean, if you can't put a Nets one, you got to put a pun on it. Like, yeah. That's even better. It was it was pretty cool. I had made sure I had pizza for lunch as well to kind of buy into it. But what uh, a I, to kind of come out of the Christmas spirits and talk about the Nets, who had two ugly losses, one at home to our crosstown rival, the New York Knicks, New York Knicks, New York Knicks, and then last night to a division rival, the Toronto Raptors. Honestly, both of these games sucked for the Nets fans, but we'll start with the Knicks ones. Uh, obviously, losing to the Knicks sucks. You know, living in the same state, you know, obviously being more Knicks fans, being the bigger franchise, you know, you got to hear little brother and all that type of garbage. And the Nets just didn't play well against the Knicks for the second time this year. You know, some of it was the Knicks were, you know, playing good physical defense, contesting our threes. But overall, it felt like the Nets just weren't playing that game. Their energy wasn't high. In that third quarter, they had a great opportunity to kind of pop on the Knicks when Porzingis went out and they just let us down. Yeah, the three-point shot, Nick, I think it's... It's either that or or nothing at times. It seems with our offense. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie had a career night. With, yeah, um, Spencer Dinwiddie had a career night with twenty six points, but uh, it was all to no avail. Um, Courtney Lee sort of torched us in the absence of Porzingis, and yeah, we did the turnovers killed us again. Um, we couldn't get flow. We looked stagnant. Um, I'm not sure what was more. Dis- probably the last win, I guess. The last loss to to the Knicks was probably a worse one. But the thing that sucks is when when you're at home, you want to to sort of silence the, the visiting fans. But because it was in New York, it was almost like it was a Knicks home game. And there was that many Knicks fans there that was like, let's go Knicks chance. Um, 
I'm hoping the day comes soon enough that um, my Nets and your Nets Knicks become uh, the kings of New York. Um, hopefully, Porzingis falls into a thirst trap soon enough. <laughs> An Instagram thirst trap. He already is. He already is. Yeah, we need to get one of the Kardashians after him or something. <laughs> but who's, I, who's single? Who's single? I think like Chloe, Chloe's single. All right, Chloe or Kylie. Kylie's pregnant as well. So if like <laughs> if if Chris Epps can get into that, you know, you know, I think he's got the he's got a K in his name as well. So he'd fit in perfectly with the family. Yeah, he can make it work. But like you said, it sucks when the Knicks fans, you know, the ones that can't afford to go to MSG, have to buy the tickets at Barclays because they're cheaper. Um, you know, like to talk all that shit. And the worst part is I'm going to vent a little bit because it's really annoying that the Knicks, like, talk so much shit about the Nets being, like, this bad team. Like, bro, your team has been irrelevant for the last 17 years. At least the Nets have two trips to the finals and have won a couple playoff series. You guys have won, I think, one playoff series in the last 17 years, and that was in the first round against a a weak Boston Celtics team, and then you lost to the Pacers. And then uh, the time before that, when you got in the playoffs, you got swept by the New Jersey Nets. So, like, let's calm down. We're acting like the Knicks are all great and all that. And you guys haven't done anything yet this season. You're in the playoff picture. You're going to get knocked out in the first round if you make it anyways. So there's my Knicks hate for this episode. Love it, Nick. Love it, Nick. Love it, love it, love it. You know, Nick hating on the Knicks. It doesn't get any better. But um, question for you, Nick. There are two absolutely disastrous, horrible, horrific, terrible centers on both of these rosters. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Timofey Moskov or Joe Kim Noah? It's like a question of would you rather have shit for breakfast or would you rather drink your own tea? (laughs) Honestly, that is tough, I guess. I will go with Mozgov because he hasn't got suspended for any, you know, performance-enhancing drugs or something like that. And I want to say Mozgov's contract is a couple million dollars cheaper, which is, is a big deal, honestly, when you're, you know, crunching the cap and you're trying to get that one key guy. Luckily for the Nets, it kind of works out where the Knicks might be a little bit farther ahead because of Porzingis going to that stardom and really carrying that team where the Nets are probably a year or two behind them in terms of they might have more talent all around. So Mozgov's contract won't really impact the Nets necessarily as much because by the time he's his contract runs out, that'll be when the Nets are good again. Where So the Knicks have more of an opportunity to be good in the next year or two, especially if they're able to pick up another free agent or make a trade. And then they have this, you know, multi-million dollar guy sitting on, not not even sitting on their bench sometimes. He's a non-active for the game. So he's not even seeing any minutes, at least Mozgov. I, I, I don't even know if I would consider him playing, but he's doing something out on the court. He's on, he's on the NBA court. He is appearing and standing there. Last night Hopefully against the so. Not for much longer, though. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully now with Jalil Okafor and Alan, um, who were unfortunately, and I made my thoughts known to you and on Twitter last night about the rotation, um, hopefully he starts to see those lesson and he gets more DNPs like we saw earlier in the season because it just makes their offense look so much smoother because we had last night against the Raptors. The, I mean, we'll get to the game a bit more in depth, but at the four and five, we had Okafor and Moskov. Like, that is the, literally probably as bad as you can get. Like, you know, the Knicks have Cantor and Porzingis, but Porzingis plays the full and he's just otherworldly talent. And Cantor at the five, exactly. at least, he has, he's probably what the ceiling of what an Okafor can be. Um, and his contract as well, mentioning, I'm joking, knows, his contract as well isn't that friendly either. So the Knicks are sort of hamstrung a little bit, whereas the Knicks, the Nets, um, despite the, the misgivings about the Alan Crabb contract, um, we have some flexibility in, in what we've got right now. And, you know, Damari Carroll as well. You know, we got a nice little uh, return for, for Trevor Booker. Joe Harris is another sort of asset. So 
at least um, there's things like you mentioned, Nick, when we start to contend in two to three years' time, um, there's going to be some flexibility there. Yeah, exactly. And by like I said, by the time the Nets are you know relevant where they're trying to make that deep playoff push, these contracts are going to be off the board. I wouldn't be surprised if Carroll's somebody they re-sign when his contract runs out and he doesn't end up playing much, but he kind of becomes that player-coach type of guy because – I personally have really enjoyed him in Brooklyn. I've enjoyed his play. I've enjoyed his mentality, his influence on the other guys. And I think Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell have talked about how he's been so great for them. So that obviously is something. But back to that Knicks and Nets game, the three-point shooting, you hinted at that before. When, you know, your two best three-point shooters go one of seven, Alan Crabb and Joe Harris, you're going to be in trouble. And when you're shooting... 12 of 42 from three. And I understand it's the offense, but even Kenny said some of these threes were contested. You know, you're not hitting. Attack the rim. Cantor ain't protecting no rim. Porzingis was out in the third quarter. Kylo Quinn's a good shot blocker, but you could definitely get him in foul trouble because he's overzealous. So I think sometimes they just need the slash. And I think one thing that drives me nuts about Crab is he doesn't always do that or he tries to pull up for these teardrops and he's just so indecisive. It's just like, you know, make your... Joe Harris would be, you know, not saying Joe Harris is a better player, but sometimes he fills his role better in the sense that, like, when he cuts, he goes to the rim hard with two hands. He's either getting a shot at the rim or he's going to try to get a foul. Like, sometimes Crab is kind of intimidated by contact, and he's more likely to pull up for those awkward teardrops or pull-up jumpers. It's not really his game. No, and I think that's one thing that he really needs to expand his game on because he's not getting the open looks um, that he got in Portland because, you know, we don't have two guys that are uh, in, that have the quality of a Damon and a CJ. So he's going to be getting contested looks. So he needs to um, find some more action off the dribble um, on the inside, whether it's, you know, actually getting to the rim, earning some fouls a little bit more because that's one thing that we've generally been quite good at, getting to the free throw line. Um, We'll have our nights when we are a bit weak at making some of them. But for the most part, you know, we can get there and we can get some easy shots at least. But, um, yeah, I think when we're not making the three-point shot and we get into that sort of rut, it gets contagious. Um, most guys will just keep settling for bad shots, whether it's a bad perimeter shot or a bad long two, rather than, you know, like you mentioned, Nick, these guys, you know, Pozingas wasn't in there and he might be one of the best interior defenders, best switch defenders for a guy of his size. Um, but Cantor is one of the worst. So the fact that we couldn't get anything around the rim or inside the paint um, was something that was a bit disappointing. Yeah, one thing that it happens, and, and Dinwiddie's kind of does this sometimes, Karis LeVert once in a while, is when they get the big switch on them, they just settle for a step-back three. That's still a tough shot. Yours a good chance, like, yeah, they're playing off of you, but there's a solid chance you're still going to be able to break them down. Or if not break them down, draw another defender and hit your guy for an open three. So I think uh, that's kind of been an issue, and I think they'll kind of fix that, change the mentality. I expected a lot different effort against the Pacers. But shout-out to our guy, Rondé, who continues to play well. He played an amazing game against the Knicks, and his ability to get to the free throw line is very important, and the rest of the team kind of has to study him a little bit more. And we talked about this. It's really a skill that he's acquired, able to draw free throws. A lot of players get fouled. They don't get the calls. But Rondé does a great job selling the call. And I, I'm not saying he's flopping. He's getting fouled. He's just making sure he gets the call. The head jerk, the body movement, the herky-jerkiness, it helps his case. Definitely. And I think, like you mentioned, Nick, Crab could take a note or, from a, a, or a thing or two from, from his playbook. Exactly. So I think that's going to be something, especially for the wings. The problem is we just don't have the slashers right now. Nobody you know, is driving to the rim and you're scared he's going to throw it down on you. I think that could be an issue. Some of it's due to our offense and obviously missing a player like D'Angelo who can create inside. He really works well in that mid-range game. So 
getting healthy is going to happen. Even uh, Jeremy Lin did a great job getting to the rim last season when healthy. So that's just something that kind of sucks. But every every moment, you know, these players are getting better. But let's talk about the Raptors beatdown. This was almost a scheduled loss, to be honest. Crab, Crab was out. DeMar Carroll was out. We already know Lynn and uh, D'Angelo Russell are out. So that's pretty much your starting, like most of your starting lineup. And the Nets had no juice. I had a feeling they'd be kind of gassed out. I, I'm not may, I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but they are shorthanded right now. And I feel like they're just gassed. Like the Mexico yeah. City trip took a took a number on them. They've been playing shorthanded. Stauskas and uh, Okafor haven't really been playing. They played in Toronto. And then a lot of the guys have just been like banged up. I had a feeling that Crab might need some rest. And then Damari Carroll, he's been playing a lot. He mentioned not liking that Mexico City trip, and it t- did a number on him. So hopefully they can get some good rest and perform better on Sunday. But what did you see from the Raptors game, if anything you want to point out, other, th- other than hot sauce lightening up? Oh, hot sauce was so hot. Um, I mentioned I tweeted it out, Nick, but we got to get someone at OTG who's a master at the Photoshop to Photoshop a – the um the Nets uniform on top of him because he's got the one where he's pouring the hot sauce on the basketball, but he's wearing a Philly uniform. So we'll get someone out to do the fix up. But yeah, he was amazing. Uh, I really liked Isaiah Whitehead's play. Um, when he comes in, you know, he's had such a you you can't imagine being in a player player shoes like his where he's you know constantly sent back to the G League and, and and sent back up to to play with the 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 NBA squad. You know, when he comes out there, for the most part, you know, he he produces. Um, and you know, we certainly lack the guard depth. Um, for most of the season, but he was pretty good. Um, Jalil Okafor had some moments as well. Um, you know, that first bucket where he had that Euro step was pretty nice. Spencer Dinwiddie, unfortunately, finished his um, streak of six-plus assists, with, which was 14 games in a row. So um, he's still... emoji right now. Heartbroken emoji. And, you know, I, I, I hate to put, point a negative out, but 22 turnovers, uh, it's just not good enough. Um, and that's one thing. You know, with our lack of guard and our lack of cohesion in the offense, um, it was almost going to happen. But, you know, they got 35 points off our turnovers and we lost by 33. So, you know, you take away <laughs> that's basically our, our loss right there. So, well, we need to take care of the ball. And, and, and I mean, that's always a symptom of our um, our offense and defense. Yeah, honestly, that game, I, I like don't even really want to study it that much because I could just tell it was a bad game from the start. Toronto's great at home. We're obviously outmatched talent-wise from them. We're out of sync. And then the rotations we have to play, there's going to have to be a change in the big man rotation. Like you said, Moskov and, and Okafor playing together can't work. Quincy AC has been so bad, has really started to hurt the team. Like I mentioned to you before, we might have to see Carroll more at the four because now we have a Nick Stauskas who can play some more wing minutes for us. Because AC right now is not providing anything. And I, I, I don't like hating on players like that, but right now he's scared to shoot the three-point ball. I hate when he puts the ball on the floor. They're hitting threes offensively. He's not really providing much value to the team like I've mentioned to you in the past. Yeah, and, and that's totally fair, Nick. And whether the Nets have to make another move, um, free, up, free up another spot and we get someone from the G League, like a Milton Doyle that we've been um, harping on a little bit. But another positive from the game, um, wasn't necessarily from the game, but the two players were there. Uh, D'Angelo Russell's polo game is on point. Very nice polo. He was wearing oh, yeah. very swag, very much swag. And then Damari Carroll's uh, nice mustard blazer with the glasses <laughs> was absolutely um, outstanding. So the fashion game, we might be uh, poor on the court, but off the court, we have the utmost of swag. Um, Swag might not be a thing anymore, but um, I'm, I'm going to try and bring it back. 
He's bringing it back. I, I'm digging um, Damari Carroll's cat outfit he wore earlier this season. I don't know if you saw that. That was pop ass. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. So, but uh, I mean, positive other than that is, like you said, Okafor did show positives and watching him, the skill set is there. Like, there is value what he can bring to the offense, not only in the post, but. You know, just if he just starts to understand the motion a little bit better and understands his teammates, his ability—I yeah. I was kind of impressed. Like I've obviously watched Ogafor, but it feels like it was years ago because he hasn't played at all in Philly. His ability to handle the ball was very impressive. You know, he hit a couple crossovers in between the legs. You know, on some of the big guys. Now the trick for him is going to be something that probably D'Angelo as well can work on too. Is they both just got to activate a little bit faster. When they start to activate fast and we have these weapons with these shooters around, it's going to be a really tough defend because when you have your defender off balance when they're helping all over the place, it's going to be a lot easier for a seven-foot guy to put you on a shoulder and drive you to the rim. So I, yeah. I'm really happy with Okafor. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one thing um, he's going to continue to improve on is you know when to his hands look really good. Um, and I think that's a, a nice side for Jared Allen as well, sort of seeing that. Um, I think they're going to develop a nice tandem. When he does come back into the rotation and our, um, our enemy, not really our enemy, well, we can't yeah. hate on him that much, but yeah, uh, Mos- <laughs> well, okay, we can. Uh, but when Mozgov, um, you know, starts getting those DNPs again, but, you know, I really like what, what he what he brings. Um, my girlfriend's even starting to pay a bit more attention now because her parents were uh, Duke alumni and she's a big fan of them in the NCAA. So she's a big fan of Jalil um, and she's liking uh, the acquisition that we've made. So, um, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see uh, eventually a healthy net squad um, with D'Lo out there, with Carol out there. You know, when we have a full squad, Nick, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how well we can actually play. It's just we never have had it all season, and yet we're still somehow at almost 400, um, which is definitely exceeded my expectations. I didn't expect to have, um, you know, 11 wins, let alone, you know, 10 at this stage because um, with all the injuries that we've had, and, you know, Alan Crabb, um, has to improve. You know, he's just too good of a player to have this such a slump. And, you know, um, Joe Harris, my boy will never shoot that badly again over the past two games. He He's better than that, and I trust him, and um, he will be better because he is. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think uh, when we're healthy, it's going to be really exciting. And like you said, I personally, when D'Angelo went down, I just thought in my head, like, oh, my God, the Nets are going to be back to being that bottom-feeding trash. But, you know, at least events. And D'Angelo, he's looking – I think I saw on a Nets Daily account that he started light shooting. No jumper, just, you know, set shots. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him maybe February. Yeah. That, that would be a really nice thing even, you know, and I think that he'll probably get worked back in limited minutes. Touch on Jared Allen. I saw a lot of Nets fans um, complaining that he wasn't playing. I think we all have to remember that he is a 19-year-old rookie who is extremely nice for his position in terms of weight. And he's banging around with Ennis Cantor, Kylo Quinn, even Porzingis to an extent. Uh, Knicks are a physical team. It took a toll on him. And we have to remember, college players aren't playing as many games. Allen wasn't the star player on his team. He wasn't seeing a lot of touches. So the NBA game is a lot different. The Nets play at extremely high pace. A pretty high usage rate in terms of his activity on the Nets when he's on the floor. So I think they're being smart and making sure that he's good to go for the whole season. I don't want to see Allen get hurt. So I'm cool with him. Even if it means I have to watch Moscow play for 15 minutes and burn my eyes. Yeah, um, I think my eyes are burnt. I need the goggles, as McBain would say from The Simpsons. But the goggles do yeah. nothing when you're watching M- Moskov. Um, he is that trash. But 
Um, yeah, I think the one thing for me, Nick, that frustrates me sometimes, and I think it's a, with a lot of fans, um, you know, even probably fans out in San Antonio, is that the the organization, whether it's Sean Marks or, or the media people, are saying, um, you know, we won't even bother saying, like, at least tell us, is he activated or not tonight? Uh, because I was expecting him to be out there just because as part of the rotation, I was excited to see him and Okafor maybe have a one-two tandem at the four and five. Um, we'll probably be likely to see that against Indiana because um, we had a really nice game against them as our opener in this at the start of the season. Albeit we had Lynn and Russell then, but um, you know it, it's a completely different squad on both sides of the floor. But yeah, the, the, the communication sometimes from the front office and from the media department, whether it's you know San Antonio, like I mentioned with Kawhi Leonard, or whether it's our net sometimes with how they're um, communicating about Jared Allen and. and some people saying about D'Lo, it's just it would just be nice as a fan because you know we are the ones that you know buy tickets, we're the ones that buy the awesome Christmas sweaters. But um, I can't complain that much because I know the process behind the decision, like you mentioned. So I respect it. Um, it's just that I'd like uh, you know maybe even just a, a notification on Twitter. You know, just show me that he's been deactivated for the night. He's wearing a nice suit. He can sit next to his boys and you know rock out the with the awesome fashion because I reckon Jared Allen. I'm excited to see him when he's um, you know, injured. Not 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 in a bad way. Like I preface that by saying I want to see the, the sort of swag he can bring with that throw. Because we mentioned early in the season that Jared Allen has one of the best hairs on the squad. And you know, when you got hair like that, when you got hair like Delos, you know, the the possibilities are endless when it comes to fashion. Yeah, I agree. But to, to go back to that point why I think the Nets didn't say anything, and I referenced one of my guys on Twitter, uh, he's a Nets fan, Matt in AQ. Uh, shout out to him. We chat once in a while on Twitter. He brought up the point is the Nets were so um, shorthanded last night. They couldn't afford to put Allen as a, uh, you know, inactive because hypothetically say Okafor Moskov picks up five fouls or something, they would need to bring him in. It was in a situation where we're not going to play him. We're only going to play him if it's completely necessary. We need to get the kids some rest. But I agree with you is like, you know, fans do want some more communication on the situation. But from a, uh, from the Nets perspective, and I, I say this if I was coaching or if I was managing the team, I don't want to show my hand. I don't care. I, even if it's a regular game, I don't want to show my hand to the other team. They don't need to know. Unless it's an injury, I have to report or tell them. Like To be honest, like Jared, Jared Allen's starting to have an impact on the game. Not like the Raptors are scared of the Nets anyways, but where the sense is like you need to study for Jared Allen because he's the parent in terms of alley-oops and shot blocking. Yeah, so that's I, I the fan in me sees the issue with, you know, the communication, but, you know, the basketball mind in me sees, you know, like, all right, I don't want to show my hand. I'm, I'm competitive as they come. Like, bro, I, if I had a finger injury and we're playing beer pong, I'm not letting you know. <laughs> like, that's how crazy I am when it comes to competing. <laughs> Enough about the losses. We got to talk about some fun things. Uh, well, we'll talk about Nick Stauskas first, and then we got a little fun game. How surprised are you? Obviously, it's one game, one stretch. He got hot. He's from Canada, so it probably gave him a little extra juice. But can he can contribute to the Nets this year, or was he just a throw-in? No, I, I definitely think he can contribute, Nick, because when we're talking about the fact that we've had some poor nights from three, um, Sauce Castillo is just an absolute dynamo from there. Um, he was, for me, the, the highlight of the unfortunate Raptors' loss, just seeing him absolutely ball out. Um, was absolutely, it was a treat to watch. You know, it was like whenever you see Steph go on one of those runs, I'm not saying Stouts because it's Steph Curry or James Harden, but or Damian Lillard. But when a guy is hot, it's just breathtaking to watch. And um, we, we were chatting to some of our guys on the NBA outlet uh, before. Um, 
And it was just nice to see um, those heat check guys get out there because, you know, when uh, other guys aren't producing, it's, you know, we, he almost gave us, he, I think he did give us the lead for a brief period with, um, with that mini run of his. So, you know, if he can keep doing that and probably to a lesser extent, I, I don't expect him to do that every night, but I uh, definitely see him as a contributor because like we've mentioned, our injuries and our depth have been a concern. And he provides, uh, I, I was surprised to see um, how comfortable he was handling the ball. You know, he wasn't by any stretch D'Lo or um, uh, James Harden in, in that sense. But, you know, he looked comfortable out there and he, he fits our system. So I'm looking forward to seeing some more sauce Casio throughout the season. Yeah, I think there's some unknown potential with him. Obviously, the shooting has always been kind of a known thing in the NBA. Playing in, you know, some bad teams in Sacramento and Philly, and he hasn't really had an opportunity. I think uh, he could be a nice piece for the Nets. Like I've mentioned to you before, you can never have enough shooters on this team, especially with the offense that Kenny's running. So, and I hate to say this to you, but I've heard the mentions on Twitter. It was also rumored in a Bobby Marks piece that Joe Harris could be one of the guys the Nets move this year, especially if Nick Stauskas kind of picks it up. Harris could kind of be a guy they could move at the deadline, maybe pick up another late pick or a young player because he's on such a cheap contract and gives you that nice, you know, role player off the bench that can knock down the three-point shot. How would you feel about that? I would be as sad as anyone can be. <laughs> It'd be like losing uh, losing a limb. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't feel whole without Joe Harris. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, um, I, I backed the move. I, I remember hearing that as well from Bobby Mark. Um, he's still young. Joe Harris is still only 26. Um, he's on a very friendly contract, $1.5 million a season. And, you know, you could, I, I could, you could definitely argue that he's doing everything that Krabby is and more, especially on the defense again and getting towards the rim. But um, uh, if the price is right, like with the Pivot Booker deal, then I, I would do it. But um, I'm not giving up Joe for, for anything, um, anything less than, you know, a late first rounder or a nice young pace um, that can turn into something because right now he's one of our most consistent performers. So if they do, um, I'm not that I have any sort of membership with, with Brooklyn okay. or ticket holder, but um, I would be very disappointed and surprised because it, it, it's unlikely to happen um, that we make bad moves now that we have short marks. We don't have Billy King in charge anymore. So um, hopefully JH can stick around for a little bit more so I can keep tweeting about him and um, we can see him. Probably not going to be in the three-point contest anymore because of those uh, that, that mini stretch where he was injured and in a couple of poor games. But if he gets back on track in the next month or two, then you know I'm going to be tweeting about him and uh, I'll put nothing but love for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think um, maybe you get a high second or maybe you get a young player that somebody maybe kind of gave up on and the Nets can kind of rebound him almost like they did with Joe Harris. And, I, and it's no shot at Joe Harris. His just talent ceiling isn't that high. Starting to become in that role where he's going to be around the NBA for quite some time because you always need players that can shoot, especially nowadays. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind if they moved him. If it was a solid deal. I also wouldn't mind if they kept him around because it's always nice to see one of your like homegrown guys improve. I do believe, though, the one thing with Harris, he's a free agent at the end of the year. So the Nets would have to pay him. So the, it's not like he would get a ton of money, but it would just be more money they would have to throw out in case they, you know, want to keep that flexibility open and take on another bad contract to build up an asset. Because we still have to remember, we are still rebuilding. You know, yeah. there's a good chance some of these pieces aren't going to be here. All these young assets aren't going to be with the Nets for the next 20 years. You know, some of them are going to get moved in bigger trades, smaller trades. Some of them are going to end up signing elsewhere because you can't sign all your players. So, nah, but I, I, I and Sean Marks, I trust. We all we always trust in Sean Marks, Nicholas, and 
Uh, he's our Thanksgiving miracle uh, and our Christmas miracle now. The miracle on Atlantic Avenue is that where the the Barclays Center is? Yes. It's been a yes. Look at you. Look at you, Jack. I've been there twice before, but it's been two years. The Facebook memories are starting to creep up now. About you know, <laughs> a couple of years ago that I've been at uh, Barclays Center. So soon enough, I will be there. I'll be in the same city as you. We can catch up, meet in person finally, and and watch and chat some nets because. Um, uh, by that stage, I'm expecting big things from our Brooklyn squad because, you know, we're, we're on the up. Yes, sir. So definitely that would be cool when Jack and I meet and we will give you a live periscope of the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets love. But uh, let's we're trying to brighten your day up a little bit. We talked a lot about those sad losses. Hopefully we can bounce it back against the Pacers, which is, I think, a winnable game. The Pacers have slightly cooled down, but they're still good where the Nets are going to have to play well. They're going to really need to have to have some pop on them Sunday. If I wasn't busy, I would really try to go to that game because that would be a fun one. I would actually maybe go with my NBA outlet host, Corey Waldron, because he's a Pacers fan. So I need the Nets need to win that not only for they need a win, but so I can talk shit to Corey because I already took an L earlier this year. Yep, and he'll but be I, the full access hoops as well if he gets the win. So hopefully we can we can steal it. We can steal it. <laughs> we can we can steal it, and then we can get him on the Brooklyn bus to talk about it. <laughs> I he would rather. Eat nails and listen to nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Well, we might have to force them, but let's let's uh, have a little fun. So what we're going to do, Jack, we did this on the NBA outlet um, last Wednesday with the Lakers and Knicks game, but we're going to do it with just the Nets. I want you to rank the top five players on the Nets under 25 in terms of potential who has, you know, the highest ceiling. You give yours, I'll give mine. Sure. Uh, for, for those playing along at home, I'll just go through quickly the names that are out there. Um, now, we're going for under 25, so Alan Crabb doesn't count because he, he's just turned 25. So we've got Stauskas, Dinwiddie, Wiley, Levert, Whitehead, Okafor, RHJ, D'Lo, and Jared Allen. So uh, are we going to go 5-1 to one or 1-5, one to five, Nick? Should we build the suspense? Uh, you're, yeah, build uh, you, you. It's up to you. I'll let you pick this. I'm going to build the suspense a little bit. I'm going to go 5-1. to one. So uh, no, in fact, I'll go 1-5 to because it's hard because we have so many. Um, so I'm going to go number one. Uh, the obvious pick is D'Angelo Russell. Still only 21 years old, which is so surprising um, with his NBA experience and the potential that he's already shown. We mentioned in earlier pods um, all these historic stats that he's already putting up and the fact that he's fitting in nicely and his, his motivation to succeed is something that really impresses me as well. Uh, so he's the easy number one for me. Uh, number two, I've got Jared Allen, 19 years old, an absolute baby, uh, despite the immaculate hair that he has on his head. Um, six years into the future, there is uh, a huge, huge ceiling to this guy, um, whether it's offensively, defensively. Um, it, it's going to be very exciting to see if we can keep him around for an extended period of time. Uh, number three, I'm going to put in uh, your one of your boys, uh, Karis Levert, 23 years old. Uh, 6'7 guy who nobody thought could uh, transform himself into uh, a point guard and a ball handler. But what we've seen him now is that his ability to to do that as our second guard with uh, the injuries that we've had has been uh, you know, nothing sort of extraordinary. So uh, big, big things ahead for Karras already. Um, he's been playing very well and, and his shot is looking really good too. So if that can continue and his offense and you know the defense can, can tighten up a little bit as well, he's going to be very, very nice. Uh, number four, uh, close number four, I'm going to have RHJ, the hyphen. Uh, the man I wrote about early in the season. Uh, astounded to see like you've mentioned so many times, Nick, just the, the confidence and comfort this guy has offensively. Um, we all knew that he 
had defensive capabilities, very active, very uh, athletic. But that uh, that step back elbow jump is very nice. His ability to get to the line is very nice, and um, I'm liking the the slow but steady development of that three point shot. So I think he's got some uh, some certain talents that I think can definitely translate and make him a piece. And again, only 22, as we've mentioned uh, plenty of times on the podcast. And number five, the guy. Um, it, it, this is tricky because it's the hardest one because Jalil is. 22 and he's got all the potential in the world as a very high lottery pick but then i can't i can't not go with spencer dinwiddie just because what he's already shown for the nets this year um and it's hard to predict what how jaleel feels with us and whether he's even going to be a piece with us for a long period of time whereas i see spencer dinwiddie as a key uh, rotation piece whether it's starter whether it's coming off the bench um i think he could be you know a six man of the year contender if um he comes off the bench but, you know, everything we've seen, he's been our most improved player. And, you know, we mentioned on the NBA outlet the fact that he's the most improved uh, player candidate, um, you know, with the likes of Gordon, Porzingis, and Oladipo. His step-back three is just uh, beautiful to watch with the likes of, you know, James Harden and, and Damian Lillard. It's one of the prettiest moves you can watch. Um, he's very calm. He's passing. Yeah, he's assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, we mentioned the fact that, you know, his streak ended of six-plus assists per game, but... He still is always very careful with the ball and he's transformed this Nets team. And the fact that we've remained even above, even close to 500, even sniffing 500 is purely, uh, I would say 80% because of him. Um, he's been absolutely outstanding. And I would be, I would feel very bad about myself if I didn't put him in there. So that's my top five. Honestly, we're almost locked on. I think D'Angelo Russell obviously is the lock. He was approaching stardom this season. I would have not been surprised if by the end of the year we're willing to call him a star because last year with the Lakers, post-All-Star break, he was amazing. And this year it's a new team, new teammates. A lot of those turnovers were part of the new teammates, the new system. So I'm all 100% in D'Angelo. I I'm really have a lot of faith in him. Slight difference here. I'm going to go with Karis LeVert at number two just because I believe when you have a big man like Jared Allen, I never believe that he'll be able to handle the ball like, you know, and be able to create as much for himself. He'll be relying on other players where I see Levert as a player that eventually, even right now, where he's able to make things happen on his own. So I think Levert, yeah. and I think one thing with Levert, and I've mentioned this in the past, we all have to remember is he hasn't played a ton of basketball. He did not only miss a lot of his rookie season, he missed a ton of time in college, a ton of time. So Levert's going to definitely benefit from getting more reps on the court. And like we mentioned, the D'Angelo Russell injury has benefited Levert a lot. And it's going to benefit the Nets in the future. Jared Allen at number three, though, obviously the kid has a lot of potential offensively and defensively to be one of those DeAndre Jordan types. If he can add the jump shot, he could possibly jump up another spot. I haven't seen anything that would make me believe he could become a ball handler. If that were to happen, I don't even know what I would be, you know, fathoming. But um, so, and then Rondé at number four. I think Rondé, you could or maybe make an argument for Rondé at number three just for the fact that how much he was able to improve in one offseason. Like, the improvement in his offensive game from this year to last year is still amazing. And like you mentioned, I, I've talked about it all the time. And I still watch the Nets, and I think he hit some, like, Dirk-like step back against the Knicks the other night. And, like, I have to tell myself that's part of his game now. Like, don't be surprised. Yeah. You know, so. But like you said, number five is by far the hardest. And this is another thing as a fan, I really want to put Spencer Dinwiddie here, but I think I might go with Okafor just because I I believe he has more of um, a unique skill set and 
talent and body. Where so Dinwiddie, I think um, his best attribute is his basketball mind. Yeah, I don't necessarily believe he's an athletically super athletically gifted guy. He has a good wingspan. He has good size, but in terms of being an elite athlete at that guard position, which is you know holds you back at times. But you could say the same about Okafor, not an elite athlete. So I would almost give them a a five A five B. If Nets fan of me gives a little boost to Dinwiddie, the basketball head of me gives a little boost to Okafor, just because we have to remember Okafor was a top three pick in a very talented draft class. So Okafor's ability is very unique. Like I think if he's able to kind of fit into the NBA and understand what he has to do, we didn't mention this before. I think one thing he he mentioned losing weight last offseason, he has to get lighter still. I think he has to be quicker defensively. I think it's always going to be an issue unless he can get quicker. So that'll be the difference. If he's never to, able to do that, Dinwiddie all the way, because we already know he can play both ends of the floor. And like you said, Dinwiddie, I believe will be with the Nets, hopefully for the next 10 seasons as our backup point guard. Yeah, absolutely. So shout out to Dinwiddie, even though I threw a little shade, don't hate me. We love you. And we love that you love Dragon Ball Z. Make sure you don't add him. <laughs> it'll be coming from a head top but yeah. <laughs> that is enough for today next time we're on the buzz we're going to be talking about a w so i don't know when that is but it will happen and we'll be chatting about it jack thank you for hopping on and as always you can listen to the brooklyn buzz on itunes blog talk radio and otgbasketball.com sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.